Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up late on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Got a great show for you. We've got Will Kunkel of Fox Sports Charlotte on to talk some Matt Corral, the Carolina Panthers, their quarterback situation, as uh, old Maddie's been in the news this week. Um, I kind of want to do this even before that happened, but I really appreciate Will's time. He was absolutely terrific. Um, full disclosure, as I like to give the, the, the folks here some inside baseball, I was just trying to find anyone from, from that covers the Panthers to come on. I was having a little bit of trouble. Will answered immediately. He was awesome. He's incredibly insightful. He's well-connected. Um, I thought it was a fantastic interview. I, I can't thank him enough for the uh, almost 40 minutes he gave me talking to Matt Corral, Panthers, how Baker Mayfield, Matt Corral, and Sam Darnold kind of factor into what's going on, both short-term and long-term with the, as it pertains to the quarterback situation in Carolina. So terrific conversation there. And then we'll take it home with LB's Greg making a return on the podcast. We took your grilling questions, um, talked a little bit of horse racing at the end, and a bunch of stuff. So good podcast for you late on a Friday. Will was covering training camp. The uh, Panthers kind of moved around their schedule, so I uh, held out the pod today to kind of include his interview on that. So, again, really appreciate his time, and uh, we'll get right to it. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you, podcast is brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Glad to have my friend Matt MIMS on board. He's, Matt MIMS is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. Everything's expensive right now. Gas is expensive. Groceries are expensive. If you've got something you need to get insured, you want to make sure you get the best rate. MIMS is the independent insurance agent whose sole job is to find you the best possible insurance rate. Whatever you need insured, whether it's a boat, car, house, uh, congrats on your boat if that's the case. Whatever you need insured, he can help you get the best rate. It can be overwhelming trying to find out what's the best way to go insurance-wise, whether it be provider, best rate. Just call Matt Mims and he'll handle all of that for you. That's overwhelming. You got enough going on as is. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854 and he's going to get you taken care of. Tell him I sent you and he will get you the best rate possible. All you have to do is sit by the phone and wait for him to get back to you. He is the uh, best in the business, absolutely. He shops it through 10 different insurance agencies and comes back with the best possible deal for you. So let him take the hassle out of the uh, shopping for insurance quotes and just let him handle the process for you. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's de definitely going to get you taken care of. Check him out there, MIMS Insurance. That is 601-218-7854. The podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. We've got football just around the corner. You're going to want to take advantage of this deal. So right now, they're running an Ole Miss national title special. The Skybox guys are Ole Miss fans. How about that? Right now, if you use the promo code NATTY, that's N-A-T-T-Y, I hope I didn't have to spell that for you, but just in case, you're going to get 50% off any picks package between now and August 17th. You're going to want to take advantage of this. Think about this. You can buy their NCAA and NFL picks package for the year at half price right now if you go in and buy it right now use the promo code natty the promo code rippy for an extra 20 percent off still works i don't know if you can double dip we'll check with the skybox guys on that one but be sure to try both why not you need to check these guys out if you're into sports betting they're absolutely the best in the business they're going to lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain you don't want the bookie texting you 
every Sunday night, Monday morning, this football season, asking you to square up as he just robs you blind. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox is going to help you do that. They're the professionals. They hit it 60% last year in NFL. They absolutely crushed college basketball. You need to check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. So glad to have those guys on board. All right. Here is Will Kunkel on Matt Corral. The Carolina Panthers, Baker Mayfield, and how this quarterback thing is going to shake out. All right, we now welcome on Will Kunkel of Charlotte Sports Live on Fox Charlotte. Here to talk a little bit of Matt Corral. I know you guys are busy. Um, I really appreciate you making some time out of your day to uh, chat with us. Well, you guys are Spartanburg. Is that where the Panthers camp campus? Is that correct? Yeah, it's Spartanburg, South Carolina. It, I, it's kind of like in the middle of a hot tub and a sauna. It is. <laughs> Listen, I'm not even playing, and I'm about to die, and I'm exhausted. We've been here since Monday. That's uh, yeah, it's it's certainly a hot time of year. I'm in Oxford, Mississippi, after spending the last two years in Dallas, Texas. So I went from like kind of dry heat, but hotter, to a little bit of more humidity and more rain. So it's uh, I'm getting all the uh, kind of swampy summer vibes for sure. <laughs> um, I guess we'll just dive right into it. So there, like you mentioned, a couple of days into camp, I wanted to talk some Matt Corral because. I never really did a post-draft segment on it. I think that's probably where we should start. With As it pertains to the Panthers, what was kind of the feeling around Carolina about what they were going to do at the quarterback position? Obviously, after kind of the, what, I think, your 4-0 last year, things didn't quite go well with Darnold. You probably knew they were going to try to bring in some sort of competition or something else. I thought the Baker trade might happen pre-draft. Who the hell knows? What was kind of the feeling about what they might do in the draft quarterback-wise heading into night one and night two? So knowing quite a bit about the Panthers and having some sources, I knew they weren't going early in the draft for a quarterback. Um, I know that they liked Malik Willis a lot. I know that they really liked his upside. I know that Ben McAdoo, who really reads quarterbacks well coming out of college, loved Matt Corral and his release in particular. Um, now you say you loved him, you loved him enough to take him in the third round. So I think the whole, the whole draft class overall wasn't outstanding. And that's not to say that no one's going to turn out to be good. If history speaks for itself, eventually one of these quarterbacks will stand out. We'll see who it is. Um, so going into the draft, they wanted to add to the quarterback room. They loved Malik Willis. Ben really liked Matt Corral and the upside of him as well. But they also knew that Matt wasn't ready to play in the NFL immediately. That was based on their scouts. But give him two, three years or whatever it might be, who knows, then he could be an NFL player. At least that's the hope. Obviously, you don't take a quarterback thinking he won't make it. Um, and then, obviously, things kind of trickled down from there. They did talk to the Browns about Baker on draft night, but the Browns were not willing to pay more of his salary and then eventually obviously we saw what happened baker could, took a three and a half million dollar pay cut in order to make the numbers work and so matt falls in the third round uh i'm sure you probably heard some of the same things from like the old miss end it was kind of a crazy deal like i i, I felt like an hour before he got picked i got like a couple of texts and like i won't go too far into it but i was like i, I don't understand like i don't almost don't this almost seems unbelievable and to the point where I was kind of hearing, I was like, he might not get drafted. And I was like, wow, talk about red flags. And all of a sudden, like, I'm in the middle of a conversation with the scout at a bar in Dallas. And then I sit and I see his name come across. I'm like, well, shit, someone took him. So <laughs> kind of take me, like, through 
you know, when they did pick him, was that you being pretty plugged in, were you surprised when they did it? How, when did you kind of get a beat that they might go in this direction on day two? So we were sitting there. We had our Charlotte Sports Live set, I mean, 20 yards from the draft room because we're the official home of the Panthers. So we're, we're right there. And I'm talking with them constantly throughout the draft. And I get a text. And, I, and we're – and I knew it was about to happen because we were about to go on air. Like, I was walking to the set. And I was like, well, this is obviously the way this works. So, of course. So, they trade up and they get Mac. So, I'm like, all right. We blew up the entire, like, start of the show. We cut it as quickly as possible. So, I knew just, you know, whatever that law is that says Newton's second law, like, whatever. You know, if it's going to go wrong, it happens. Um, but I think it was a good move. I think they saw that there was going to be some – the movement towards Matt from some other teams, and they got aggressive and went after him. So they got the guy that they liked right after Malik. Yeah, well, how did Malik factor into that, do you think? Like, I always forget the – I almost forgot until you mentioned the element of them trading up. How do you? How did you kind of see that going down? How did Malik factor into their decision to take Matt? Like, was, I don't want to say panic, but obviously kind of had to act pretty rashly. Like, how did that kind of go down in your mind? Yeah, I think they, they reacted to losing their number one guy. And probably the third guy just wasn't, you know, it was like one and then one B or C or however you want to rank, it doesn't matter. You know, number two is Matt, but I think the gap between two and three was significant enough to where they wanted to get up and get Matt because other after that, it was, they just didn't have an interest in that quarterback. And he obviously didn't know what was going to happen with Deshaun Watson or Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, Russell Wilson at that. I don't know if Russell was already gone at that point. I can't remember, but whoever it was, you didn't know what was going to happen, so you could you just had to add to the quarterback room somehow to add some competition for Sam at the minimum at that point. And that was their second-round pick, right? They didn't have a second-round pick that year, so that was the second right. guy they took. And as we before we get into, like, the camp part of it, this is honestly a simplistic question. What did the fans want at quarterback this offseason? Did they want a Baker trade? Did they want a free – like, a kind of a more notable, established guy? Did they want them to draft someone? What was kind of your – like, your beat on what the fans wanted this offseason? Dude, you know fans, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't have a clue what they want. They just didn't want Sam. So, it was, you know, it's like, fire Matt. Well, who do you want to hire? I don't care anybody. Get rid of Sam. Who do you want? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it kind of does. Like – you got to have somebody in mind. They just wanted somebody different. Sam was, like, bad last year. I don't think we can sit here. I love Sam. He's a good person. He's a fun person away from the field. He's handled this remarkably well. I mean, not that he had a choice. Not that, like, he got backstabbed in the back or something like that. But um, the fans just wanted something new. And whether it was Malik or Ritter or Malik, they were going to be excited, honestly, no matter what. They just latched on to the next shiny toy, that, and that was Matt. And that's not disrespectful to Matt by any stretch. It's just they were just eager to get something new that had a high upside with some hope attached to it. That's the fascinating part about a lot of this is you look at the Panthers as a history as an organization. It's one of the newer NFL franchises, and there were some good DeLome years. And I don't know, you would have, have a way better idea of how to categorize it. It felt like Cam Newton was kind of the first – is it fair to say Cam Newton was the first real franchise quarterback? I know that the DeLome years were good, and you make a Super Bowl with them, and so that probably counts. But it was kind of more truncated, like time period and some injury stuff in there as well than you would normally think with, like, a franchise quarterback. And so whether you put DeLome in that category or not, moving on from Cam is kind of the most significant quarterback history Carolina has had in its franchise history. And it seems like it's kind of spent the last two years 
trying to replace that guy, which is only natural in the NFL, right? I mean, it takes time to replace the guy. Very rarely do you see examples of the successor just immediately stepping in and you go from, you know, A to B and you have 10 years of success on top of 10 years of success. What was that transition from Newton like and what has kind of the searching process been from your vantage point? Emotional. And I, and I mean that like genuinely on all spectrums because people were angry they got rid of camp. People were thrilled they got rid of camp. People were confused they got rid of camp. But then Teddy came in and it was like, what? Like not, and the problem is you have to, and Teddy wasn't bad. He was kind of like Sam. He was a game manager. Uh, he just didn't light up people's imagination. He didn't light up the field. He didn't throw the ball deep. Um, and Cam, listen, Cam was rough the last two years. He was hurt. He was banged up. He had shoulder injury and a foot injury. And it just didn't work out, unfortunately, towards the end. But trying to replace Cam stuff because, every, generally speaking, everyone was in love with Cam. Like, that star power was real. And even if you replace Cam with a very good quarterback, I don't know that you can replace Cam from an emotional standpoint to sell the jerseys and to have the infatuation with the franchise and the following and, and the love that people had for Cam was real. So replacing that was tough. And to do it, try to do it twice and kind of fail at least one and a half times at this point, it makes it even tougher. And, you know, Cam Cam makes people stupid because people think he sucks and he didn't. People think he can still play and he can't. (laughs) Cam, for whatever reason, makes people stupid. He was... So much fun to watch. He transcended the NFL at that position, the way he played it. I mean, he was a linebacker that could run, that ran over other linebackers. He was so much fun to watch and took him to the Super Bowl. And he had, and he grew up in front of them. Like he was a kid. He was emotional. He was immature. But then he grew up as well. So it was, you know, it's like I'm a Yankees fan. So it's like watching Derek Jeter come in from day one all the way with one team forever. That's an emotional ride. You know, it's like father-son times watching Cam, father-son times watching Derek, whoever it might be. It's, there's a lot of emotions tied to that. Yeah, and it's, it's the transition from the guy to what's next is fascinating. Like, you're going to kind of see it in Pittsburgh this year. I don't necessarily have high hopes for, you know, some guy finding immediate success. I think it's going to take a while. And you, you hit on it earlier. You were like, it kind of failed, right? The Teddy Bridgewater kind of failed. The Sam Darnold kind of failed. Probably closer to fail than kind of there because right. Bridgewater was, I thought, you know, pretty good. Like you said, didn't light up the scoreboard. And it's, it's kind of – you've been around the league a while. Like it's kind of a weird – it's a weird like fork in the road where you can also kind of take the middle. You can kind of take that free agent guy that's been with the team or two and see if you don't want to bottom out. But then also if you bottom out, like you can kind of get a high draft pick and but that's also no guarantee there. Just in your years around the league, coupled with the, that kind of coming to the head with the Panthers, was there ever a clear direction? I know there was a coaching change, but, like, was there ever any clear direction on, okay, we're going to bottom out and suck for a year and get a guy, or ultimately what they decided to go get one, or did it just kind of happen naturally if that question makes any sense at all? Like, did they have no, a clear it, path that just came left? It, it does make sense. And they didn't bottom out because the bottom feeders of the NFL were just so bad. <laughs> yeah, like the Jaguar. Like you couldn't try to be that bad. You couldn't be as bad as the Jets if you tried. So they got, what, the sixth overall pick at one point. Basically, I can't remember the numbers, but they got Jer- – not Jeremy Chen. They got um, Brian Burns. They got Derek Brown. 
Like they used them on the defensive line. So they, but they weren't ever high enough to get a quarterback. Like they couldn't get Trevor Lawrence. There was one Trevor Lawrence that was the number one overall pick and they were never that bad. Yeah. Dave Tepper came in and said, listen, this is going to take three years. This is going to be, this is going to be a rebuilding process. I don't know that he said the words rebuilding from a political standpoint, but he knew it. And that's why Matt Rule got a seven year deal. Like this is going to take time. And Matt's made a point of kind of saying, hey, remember, Dave said this is going to take time. Give me some slack. Um, now, whether you think Matt's a good coach or not, that's a different conversation. But yes, they were aware of the process they had ahead of them. They were never bad enough to get their guy to replace Cam. Um, but, but they, to their credit, they focused on defense and built that defense up from what it was because it was old and tired when Matt came in. Yeah, and it's also not like it's been a ton of time, right? Like your last Cam Newton year, oh. what, like 2019, you're talking two seasons. So it's still in like that patient stage, right? And I think that's kind of the smart way to play it. Maybe get the placeholder until, I don't know, there's a guy coming up a year or two from now that you absolutely love. And not tanking is weird because you can't really do it in the NFL. But, you know, maybe oh. kind of like be okay with going three and 13 and see where that goes from there and go get that guy. And there's still – they're not the Giants, where it feels like after Eli, the Giants have just kind of been like, okay, this Daniel Jones thing didn't work, and that's probably not the best example. But point being, they haven't spun their wheels for nine, 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 ten years trying to find the next guy. So it's still kind of in that patient stage. You bring up the rule aspect of it in the seven-year contract. Hold on, I want to, I want to just like real quick before you go to rule. Like, think about the people that are getting like Kyler Murray just got a two hundred thirty million dollar contract, and they had to put a clause which they took out. Yeah, it's like we don't so, like you that much. Yeah. But, like, that's how hard it is to find a quarterback. Like, Brock Eisweiler, here's $74 million. Can you do it? Let's see. I hope Matt Flynn, $54 million, maybe got beat out by Russell Wilson. Like, this team, it is, what's there, 10 good quarterbacks in the, on the entire planet Earth that are very good. And that's it. So, when you – it's like – it's so hard. You don't know how to do it. So, you're just like, this, next one, next one. Look at the Broncos have had a dozen quarterbacks since Peyton left. It's just so hard. So, the fans that are like, why can't we just bring in a star quarterback? Well. That's the that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They don't just, exist. <laughs> no, there's ten people in the whole world. Like Kyler Murray got two hundred thirty million dollars, and the and they just his own team doesn't like them. <laughs> and then like it it gets jaded by these classes where you have like with the Herbert class or like the Allen class where you have three or four guys that actually work. It's like, that's not actually how that works. Like, yeah. We've had a couple of those back to back, not back to back, but within like a five, six year time span, you can go a decade without having two guys work in a class. And so it just kind of skews everything. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing to watch because it's these franchises. There's so many moving parts of football, but at the end of the day, it's this constant pursuit of a difference maker at quarterback. And there's just no guarantee it's ever going to come. And that's why like the, Kirk Cousins, whatever you think of him, like him, hate him, you can win a bunch of football games with him. And if the pieces fall the right way, you can do a lot worse than Kirk Cousins. And, you know, it's not popular on social media and people will shit on it. But, like, they're, they're top, th- you know, two-thirds of the league, whereas there's – I mean, there's no guarantee they would ever get into that top third, even if they drafted a guy. You know what I mean? You could spend 15 years trying to do that. You could do worse than Kirk Cousins. And I feel like that doesn't would love to have Kirk Cousins because you know exactly what you're getting every single year and you have consistency. If you don't have your quarterback for the next five years in the NFL, then you don't have a quarterback. With Kirk, you're good. Like, you're good. You've got to build around him. Yeah, he's not the best, but trust me, like 20 plus franchises and fan bases would take Kirk in a heartbeat. And it's it's a fascinating dynamic from that standpoint because like 
I feel like it's gotten harder to win with the Kirk Cousins, Joe Flacco guy. Like, you used to be really good around a guy like that. And now you mm-hmm. – I won't say perfect, but you got to be – like, that margin for error is really slim. And some of that's the rules tailored toward quarterback. Some of that's just the depth of talent quarterback in the, in the NFL these days. It's like, well, I mean, look at the AFC. Burrow gets through. Well, if he wants to get back, he's probably going to have to beat two of Lamar, Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, go down the list. You know what I mean? Like, it's just really damn hard. And so, if you're – I always feel like you do the best you can do. And, like, yeah, I guess if you have to go to that 2-14 and 14 mark, you'll get your guy. You know, some teams naturally fall there. But the idea you're just going to keep drafting dudes until it works, there's no guarantee that's ever going to happen. You bring up the rule aspect. And you know how bad you have to be, like, yeah. for so long just to keep like, – you. that means you're perpetually two to three wins, maybe one, because there's always one team that has one win. So you've got to be zero to one win to have the top two picks. So and good, like, good luck with that process. And, you know, if you have bad ownership and bad management, you could be like the Browns. And I like Baker, I think, more than most. But, like, he was never a number one overall pick. You could finally get there, and then the organization's yeah. like, we're going to take this guy we just fell in love with because he's real cocky type deal. It's like, oh, God. Um, you've mentioned the rule part of it. Seven-year contract, from an outsider's perspective, if a guy just flips on NFL Live or NFL Network, sounds like his seat's pretty hot. What is the – like, what is the – what is is there a disconnect or is that the case? Because you mentioned it's a long rebuild. They thought that would be the case. You gave him a seven year deal. You don't see a ton of as the NFL. Is perception reality in terms of how hot his seat actually is? Oh, I don't know that it's. I don't. I think it's even more than just perception. I think it's just a hot seat. Um, okay. I think it just is what it is. I think there's a lot of let's say this the proper way, so I don't get in trouble. Um, there's a lot of people that doubt him that matter. And uh, it's just you got to win in the NFL. I think that's just the the bottom line is seven year contract or not. When your owner pays two point whatever billion dollars for a franchise, at some point you just got to win. And it's not doesn't mean it's fair. It doesn't mean you should win. But I do think there are, to be honest, there and to be fair, there are some in game decisions that have been less than uh, stellar. I think he's gotten better as a head coach, and I think he's a great dude. I love talking to Matt. He's an awesome guy. Um, but I think the coaching needs to be better, and I think he made that adjustment to his credit this offseason by hiring. My biggest critique was that he didn't have someone on his on his staff that had coached before in the NFL. Like, you had a dude coming up that was a passing game coordinator in Joe Brady, and I've heard glowing reviews of him that he wasn't allowed to do what he wanted to do as the offensive coordinator as your OC. And then you had Phil Snow, who was awesome as your DC. And then you're the head coach, but no one was on an NFL staff for real or was a head coach. Now he's got some guys on the staff like Ben McAdoo that have been there. They've done that Paul Pasqualoni, who was the head coach at Syracuse for a billion years um, that know the game, Steve Wilkes, former head coach of the Cardinals. And that's what he needed. I mean, you can't come in the NFL and just be like, I got this. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's a great point because, like, everyone loves to dump on Ben McAdoo because the mustache and the weird hair that he had with the Giants. But, like, when you have a college guy come to the NFL, that transition's already hard enough and not having someone that's been an NFL head coach before. Honestly, I don't know how you could go into it and do a full job. I just feel like there's too many intricacies where I would like to have a guy next to me to just be like, hey, like, small stuff, stuff you don't encounter in college. It's it's fascinating from that that standpoint for sure. What went wrong with Sam Darnold? What's wrong with him? Because they just started four and zero last year. I remember trying to be like, is this guy available yeah. on my fantasy wire? Like he's he's running in touchdowns. What happened? Obviously, that part of it was a little bit smoke and mirrors. But like, 
He's a guy that's come from an Adam Gase deal, who had a good reputation for quarterbacks, but just being a weirdo and not a great head coach. Just from seeing him for a year and how that went down, what's wrong and what happened? So he started off well. The offensive line was playing decently well. Um, and to be fair, I don't think the run, the, the rushing touchdowns were smoke and mirrors. He's fast. Like, he's athletic. He, it was some runs created for him, and he did. Like, he just was the faster guy on the field on that play. Um, but then the offensive line went to absolute hell. Half of it was injuries. Half of it was the guys that were blocking weren't blocking. They sucked. They didn't communicate. I mean, I'm rarely that, like, like outspoken. They were just bad. I mean, they were bad. So Sam didn't stand a chance. And the problem with Sam is that when his feet get sped up, his head gets sped up. And when the line's bad, all of that starts to ex- exacerbate itself. And that's when you got the seeing ghost thing from what happened in the Jets. And people that don't understand that play, maybe even played high school quarterback, what that means is you're back there and you know you're going to get hit because you're all line sucks. So you drop back and you look around. And for people that don't see me, I'm doing a fake drop back. And, like, you just see 12, 13, 14 people out there because the game has now been sped up so damn fast not to your fault, but then you don't have the ability individually to slow it down. So that's what happened with Sam. And then he got hurt because he laid it all on the line. I mean, he got smacked twice in the Atlanta game on a play that he slid and he got hit. It was a bad play and he was playing well. Um, But the problem with Sam is that he can't slow it down when it speeds up and it's sped up to a degree that I don't know anybody that could have slowed it down at that point. I mean, Cam came in and Cam looked like one of the worst quarterbacks to ever play the game. And Cam isn't. So the line was so, so, so bad. Ole Miss found that out against Alabama last year. Football can be really (laughs) complicated, but if you can't block the dudes in front of you, really nothing else matters. You can't do a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, the game, as much as it's changed, as much as it is like a chess game to a degree, it it starts up front on both sides. It starts up front, and it starts front to back, and it starts inside to out. It's very simple. And then you're allowed to get complex. If you can't be, do the simples, forget about the out route for 15 yards mixed in with the crossing route. Like, you won't get that far in your reads. Like, forget it. It's a moot point. Baker trade. It happens post-draft after they take Corral. Surprised by it at all? Kind of take me to the moments leading up, and then it happens. What was kind of the vibe? Just take me through that whole situation and it happening. So I had a pulse on, the, on it from some guys in, within the Panthers the entire time. And they didn't think it was going to happen because the numbers weren't moving. And the only reason it happened, the only reason it moved and that it did not happen is because Baker said, all right, I'll take a three and a half million dollar pay cut. Like no one thought that was going to happen. Therefore, no one thought it was going to happen. And then the unprecedented happened and then the trade happened. So like, there was constant communication, but it was like, hey, has anything changed? And so it wasn't like real talks. Like, I'll give you a five. I'll give you a seven. So it wasn't like they could get on the same page. They could. The only thing is that the Browns weren't going to pay – what are they paying, 10 or something like that right now? They weren't going to pay 13, 14 for him not to play there, which is fine. Like, I get that. And the and the uh, Panthers weren't willing to pay Sam his 18.5 on top of another 10 or I guess 8 it would have been to Baker. So it was Baker's credit. Like, he realized no one else wanted him. He was like, well, I got I got to audition somewhere, so I'll take the 3.5 mil, work it back into the contract and incentives when it comes to winning. Everyone here listening, I imagine, knows to some degree kind of Baker Mayfield's persona, the history going back to college of just him kind of being motivated by people doubting him. 
almost spiteful in a way. And I don't even mean that in a bad way. It's kind of the way, you know, you have athletes are sometimes to draw motivation. What was fascinating to me was the trade happens after the Watson thing, quote unquote, takes another downward turn, right? So they signed him to all that guaranteed money. And you hadn't really heard much about like the second wave of allegations and the investigation, I wouldn't say had to heat it up to that point yet. But then the trade happens is that's kind of more on a downward trend. I, I, you talk about him agreeing to take the three and a half million dollar pay cut. I'm halfway jokingly here, but I wonder if he wonders like if he thought like, oh well, this has kind of turned into a shit show again. Oh wait, who does Carolina have week one? Oh, amazing. <laughs> I am sure Baker knew it. I can't imagine that like influenced him, but I'm yeah, sure, sure Baker was aware. <laughs> I just wonder what like finally trig- like like kind of like triggered him to take the three that three million dollar pay cut. I just wonder if it was always going to happen or I've just wondered, it was like, well, actually their situation here, they don't want me, but it's also not as glamorous as it seems with this you know, second wave of the Watson stuff. I'm going to get out of here. I guess it was always going to happen. I just wonder what kind of finally led him to take, say yes and take the $3 million pay cut. Well, there was no going back to Cleveland. Seattle hadn't done anything significant and he didn't have anywhere to play quarterback. I think, Think about anyone out there that didn't have doesn't have a job offer, and you're asking for you know 100 bucks an hour, and they say no, we'll do 80, and you say no up until the day night before your wife says you don't get a job, I'm out of here. Like all right, 80 bucks an hour it is. <laughs> it's like you know you got to work, and he's got to put something on tape. Like I think it's I think it's that simple. I think you're probably right, and it's a weird quarterback deal because normally a guy of that stature, whatever you thought of him last year, I thought he was more hurt than anything. Normally that guy's going to have four or five options, but the way the league ecosystem was at quarterback, it just didn't really exist. It was a very weird off season where you just mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of quarterback, you know, mobility, whatever you want to call it, turnover. You had the Russell Wilson thing that that happened. And that was, a, I don't say unexpected, but where he went was a little weird. And outside of that, there just weren't a ton of options. So he gets in, you mentioned Sam's handled it pretty well. What's the dynamic been like in camp? Cause it's obviously two guys starting for the job. As much as Corral kind of wants to say I'm not out of it, what else is he going to say? Yeah, I'm going to sit back and watch for two years. I'm just kind of holding the towel. What's that dynamic been like so far in camp? I've seen a lot of Panthers fans chanting Baker's name as Sam's walking next to him. What's it been like three days in? It's It's been a lot of that. Uh, there have been some Sam fans, though, like 100%. No one's, like, disrespectful. Like, Panther fans aren't that type of rabid, Philly, sure. like, mean people. <laughs> um, they're just, you know, they're genuinely good people. So they cheer for Baker. They'll trash Sam, of course, but not like they're to their face or boom or anything like that at training camp. But uh, it's been a respectful competition. I think that's the best way to put it, is that they're helping each other, they're watching each other, they're learning from each other, and they're cheering each other on. You know, I was saying this the other day on one of my Twitter lives. If Sam or Baker want the other one to do bad, it doesn't help them because they don't get any better. Like they're a bad rep for the other guy doesn't make their quarterback play any better. And you got to be good to win this job. So that's kind of where we are. And they're handling it very, very well. And they're both good dudes, honestly. And they have a lot of mutual friends on this team that they all kind of hang out. So they don't want it to be awkward for everyone else as well. The trade happens. And of course you flip on first take undisputed, whatever insufferable morning cable television that doesn't rate no one watches there's the, the 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 kind of zig or zag, whatever you want to call it, was, well, there is no competition. Baker Mayfield is the starting quarterback. I never quite understood that because I think Sam Darnold's okay. I, I get the flaws. I think he's probably been cut at, cut at the cut out at the knees because of his lack of development. How do you see this playing out? Uh, clearly, I think Baker's the more talented guy. 
but I wouldn't totally discount the Sam aspect of it. How do you see this playing out? So it depends what, um, what lens you want to look through. I think, and I haven't been told this by anybody, this, I think the coaches want Baker to win the job, but he's got to win the job. And I say that because they want him to come in and he will throw the ball deep. He will take chances. He'll go out there and win you some games. But he's got to take care of the ball. He can't just be a reckless gunslinger because he's not good enough to do that. You know, he's not Brett Favre. Um, so I think they want Baker to win. I think that Sam is getting a very fair shot in spite of that. He's the one – he's been the guy with the ones uh, from day one. Day one and day three, which was today on – I don't know when you're putting this out, but Thursday, what's today? Friday. Friday. Um, so I think I think Sam's getting a fair shot. I think they want Baker to win the job. But week one, I won't be shocked if Baker doesn't have a grasp on the playbook and all of a sudden Sam work, Sam starts one and two and then comes Baker. But I, I do ultimately think, if I was told to bet, I do think Baker will be the starter. What's kind of your read on him as a player? Because as someone who may or may not have been on the wrong side of some Browns lines in the last year, um, <laughs> last year he was he was good and he was okay. I, I know what he is as a player, but last year it was so abundantly obvious he was not healthy. I mean, he had a couple yeah. like that Pittsburgh Monday night game. It's like this dude clearly has one shoulder. Like <laughs> that, that he, just, he had a bad. Yeah, he's good. Like, he like, I heard. I, we learned that he had a bad shoulder, foot, and ribs. Like. Good luck, guys. Good luck. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so bad, you'd be like, you're an idiot for playing. And you, you don't actually want to say that because you, you admire it. But, I mean, he was so banged up last year. The corral piece of it, I've seen a lot in the first couple of days of corral first went out to practice. And no Miss fans listening to this, they know he is that kind of guy. He went from a guy that Dan Mullen dropped at Florida that kind of was a – him and Matt Luke needed each other. That is for damn sure. Mm -hmm. He got undercut by Rich Rodriguez thinking having a wide receiver playing quarterback was the way to go on a 4-8 and eight team that really didn't do anything except for put up a bunch of yards on an LSU team that didn't really care that night. Stays and becomes a legend. And I don't use that word lightly. He became an Ole Miss legend. Um, and it's not just the way he played. It was the way he carried himself and kind of the undisputed leader of that team. It's some Baker Mayfield vibes of the way people felt about him in Oklahoma. That team loved that kid despite the early baggage, which seemed to be him just beating up Wayne Gretzky's kid at 17 years old, and then that just kind of legend living on for forever. What have, you, what have your early impressions been of him? I, I'm with you where I don't think he's ready to play in the NFL immediately, but I'm done kind of doubting the guy, if that makes sense. Like anything he does, it wouldn't stun me at this point. I've, I've really been impressed by an athlete that I've been close around, cover, whatever you want to call it. Then Matt Corral, what has your early impressions been of him? I mean, I agree entirely. The way he carries himself, I watched him specifically today on Friday to just watch him and how, how he carried himself. And I know it's small, but it's also not small that he almost did dead sprints between drills. I mean, to one spot, to the next spot. I don't mean within the drill. I mean, to like to the other end of the field, like when you're, when you're changing locations on the field. He runs, he leads, he's the first one out there. And I know people can scoff at that. Oh, it's all for Instagram. Well, it's not. Like, it, it's, it's not. You just see it on Instagram. Uh, the way he carries himself, he represents himself, the way he speaks. Uh, he's confident but not cocky. He's respectful um, but not going to self-deprecate himself. Um, I admire the way he does. I, I admire his faith. I, I admire that he puts it out there. Uh, I like the guy. I, I haven't really gotten to know him, to be fair. 
but everything we've seen briefly, I like. The problem is when it comes to the quarterback position, he makes all the throws, so he looks so good in seven on seven. The release is fire. It's a tight spiral. But, you know, there's a billion quarterbacks in the world that can do that. Uh, it's a matter of reading a defense, getting in the huddle, knowing the playbook, pre-snap reads, post-snap reads, going through your reads. There's a lot of stuff that just the brain has to do that isn't physical. And I don't, I'm not saying you can't do that. We just haven't seen it yet. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the – he kind of stepped in it with Ole Miss fans earlier in the week, I would say to a degree. I thought it was kind of a dumb story. He was asked about, like, the competition, it seemed like, from what I gathered. And he was talking about going through it to where he wanted to go to Ole Miss to play so he could play immediately, just like every other 17-, 18-year-old college quarterback. Right. But he was trying to make an example of, like, hey, you know, knowing what I know now, I would have trusted my skill set more and, go, and not been – I think he was poorly worded trying to say I wouldn't have feared going to a place where I wasn't the guy and I had to beat it out. The ironic part of that is he got beat out by a kid that's probably going to play wide receiver at UCF this year in John Rice Fumbley. <laughs> but, like, it, the thought was he was the guy from day one after Jordan Tomlin graduated. And I got what he was trying to say. It was just poorly worded. And the difference between Matt Corral and someone like me is when I do that on a podcast – I can cut it or call myself an idiot and just keep it moving. Not how it works when you're an NFL franchise quarterback. Were you at that presser scrum? Like, what did you make of that? It didn't – I feel like, like, listening to it in real time, I imagine particularly from a Panthers perspective, you probably didn't think a whole lot of it, and then all of a sudden there's a Gannett headline an hour later and people are furious. As soon as I heard it, I was like, well, that's going to blow up. <laughs> and I knew what he meant. I knew exactly what he meant. Yeah. And I will tell you I, a uh, – behind the doors story of how that came about from the headline. It was written by an intern that was done the next day and it was put together. And I heard the story last night at the bar and it was a great headline. Like it wasn't a wrong headline. It was a salacious headline. It knew yeah, it was to get it. clicks. It wasn't incorrect, but it was, I said, you know, I said to the person at the bar, I said, but it wasn't fair to Matt. Like it just, it wasn't fair to Matt because it painted the, his comments as if he regretted going to Ole Miss. He didn't regret going to Ole Miss. He regretted trust, not trusting himself and took the easy way out. And Ole Miss was the easy way out, not from a program standpoint, just from a competition standpoint. So to be fair, I knew it was going to happen. It happened. And here we are. And I, I, don't, I don't, listen, I agree with Matt. Like too many kids take the easy way out, especially with the transfer rule now. It's got to stop. And he's learned, like, competition's good, and he's going to learn it now in camp for, for damn sure. Will Kunkel just single-handedly calming the Ole Miss message board waters, just <laughs> for adamantly declaring what anyone with common sense that watched the clip should have, that he was not saying he regrets going to Ole Miss. But, hey, oh, no. never let that interrupt a great internet debate. As, <laughs> we wrap, as we wrap up here, what's the – again, it's a two-man competition, clearly. What did and feel free if the answer is there's not one, say it. But what is the path to Matt Corral starting games for the Carolina Panthers this year in some capacity? Oh, there, there's a path for sure. It's that I mean, there's a handful of them. Like you said, never. I'm not going to doubt the kid. I'll doubt his opportunity, not his ability. So I don't know that he'll have the opportunity to show his ability. Um, Sam can get hurt. Baker can get hurt. They could suck. And all of a sudden it's, you know what? Matt's look kind of good in practice. Let's see what happens. Let's put him out there in the fourth quarter. And then all of a sudden he looks good. And then he starts the next week. Like there's definitely opportunity in the NFL with injuries and things like that. I don't think he's going to get the reps to earn something in practice without something happening to Sam or Baker. If that's fair. I think that's fair to say. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just say if you like, as you just outlined, one of them gets hurt, the other one sucks. Is, do you think there's any chance of the the classic coaches on the hot seat? Let's play the young kid, and if he has success, I'll sell this to try to save my job type thing that you see happen almost every year. I'd be shocked only because again, you have Baker and Sam ahead of him in the rep line. Right. So I just like if you if if Baker's not the answer, then you go to Sam. And so you're going to get, just for argument's sakes, you're going to get, you're going to give Baker at least six or seven games. And then you're going to give Sam at least four to five games. That's eight, nine, ten, oh, that's 13 games. There's good math. Um, and then you got four left. Like has, is it fair to put Matt out there after 14 weeks of taking no reps with the ones? And now the week, the bye week is week 13. So maybe now we're in a situation where the bye week plays well for him. But now we're doing the thing where you're in third place in the AL East. You got to jump all four different teams to get there. You know, you got to go on a 10 game win streak. They got to go on a 10 game losing streak. It, there's a lot of moving parts for that to happen. The, my biggest fear with that scenario that you propose is that they, in that scenario, they put him in, he's not ready. And then he's shell shocked. And then, holy shit, what did we just do to Matt Corral? This is an impossible question to answer, but I'm asking you to project anyway. In three years, is Matt Corral a significant part of the Panthers organization? Super impossible, in particular because Sam and Baker have one year left on their deal. Right. And Baker has the ability to lock up a four-year deal. I don't think Sam will. Um, yeah, in three years, I think he's probably on the roster because of the way he carries himself, the way he works hard. I don't think he'll suck enough to – and I don't mean that, you know, I don't think I the game will be that. too bad for him that they're like, oh, get this kid out of here. Um, so I think he'll be on the roster in three years because he's still he will still be on his rookie deal. Like, Will Greer is one of the best dudes. But when he was put in, it was, it was very obvious the game was just too fast for him. And he's now in Dallas – or he was in Dallas last year. I don't know where he is now. Maybe still there. He was on the practice squad, kind of in and out of the roster on active, not active, and never got picked up um, by another team. So, yeah, he'll be there. But uh, but you did say it's significant, and I would, I'd say no, because I don't know anything about him. <laughs> you know, right. I'm not putting you know. <laughs> the the last thing, the like the 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 kind of prep part of it and kind of knowing his story going in the one of the things that always got lost uh, it seemed like was even that guys that cover college football nationally he ran a bunch last year and his passing numbers weren't great and he kind of played the last half of the year on one ankle but like I felt like what what kind of him not getting invited to the Heisman final or the Heisman ceremony I don't get up in arms about stuff like that I don't understand what, how they pick the numbers and why but I thought he was one of the three four best players in college football last year where I think he got handicapped was one he had to run it a bunch because the receiving core he was throwing to was atrocious. I mean, the one time he had an NFL receiver, him and Elijah Moore, what Elijah Moore did in a 10-game COVID season in the SEC where he only played eight of them because he opted out was absurd if you look at the statistics. But he's throwing to dudes. They went in that Auburn game, and I'll never forget when he came back in the second half. He, a guy caught a pass, and I had to look up on my phone. I was like, I have no idea who this is. Like, does that guy <laughs> – someone give him something at halftime? Like, who is this dude? What was kind of your read just going into it about what he dealt with and kind of perception versus reality about his last year at Ole Miss? Because the talent is there. I just don't feel like he always got to show it because of what the team was. I think from my perception of him was that he was a dog. Um, and when I say that, it means 
he, he overcame maybe some some inabilities physically, maybe whatever his inabilities may have been were or on the team or like he went out there and he won. He went out there and got it done and he was a dog versus someone like a Trevor Lawrence. That dude went out and showed the whole world he was just unbelievable. So, and that's, I think it's a good thing to be a dog. Like it's a good characteristic to have, but at some point you can't be just a dog. And so I think eventually we'll find out what he does or doesn't have. And it's, but it's so unfair because Ole Miss doesn't run an NFL offense. So it's like, right. all right, anyway, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it translates, maybe it doesn't. Like, I don't think anyone knows for anyone that's screaming, yeah, it does, you're an idiot. Or yeah, no, maybe it doesn't. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, he the Tennessee game where he had 26 carries. Kiffin walked in the press conference after and was like almost feeling like he had to apologize for it. I mean, hell, Matt Corral broke a 13-year standing record for carries in a game that was set by a running back in 07. Like, yes, it yeah, was a weird year to go 10-2. and two. All right, as we close here, does Matt – do they have to make the playoffs for Rule to be safe? What's that, what's that dynamic like in your mind? They have to be relevant in December. Whether or not they get in or not, I don't know that it matters – but they have to be relevant in December and they have to win early because I don't know that Matt may not be around after week eight, if they start Oh, and six. So they got to win early and then they got to be relevant late. Um, and I think that's the best way to put it. Absolutely, man. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the time. Will Kunkel, Fox sports, Charlotte. This was a ton of fun, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, love it, Brian. Thanks so much for reaching out dude. This is a great podcast. Uh, shout out to all the old Miss fans out there. I've never been to a game. I would, I'd love to take my wife out there because she loves going to college football games. So if you ever have two tickets lying around, holler. I will, I, will, I will absolutely help you out with that. Just let me know. I heard it's the best tailgating in the country. I don't know if that's true or not, but I can't judge if I'm not there. It's a ton of fun. It's a different vibe. <laughs> the Grove is definitely different. But, like, particularly first time going in, you're going to be like, wow, this is something. So we'll, we got to get you down here. We, uh, we'll, I'll make that promise. Man, I'm in, brother. Thanks again for having me, dude. That was Will Kunkel of Fox Sports Charlotte. I really, like I said at the top, can't thank him enough for his time. I thought that was a terrific interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Before we get to the second half of the show, I wanted to remind you, just kidding, who needs an ad? LB's Greg is here to advertise himself. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Here's LB's Greg. We answered your grilling questions and uh, just kind of uh, shot the breeze for a bit. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Chart Jones. We brought him out of summer hibernation. This is not an edition of Fresh Cuts, but it certainly will be here before too long, which I'm looking forward to. Um, we did a uh, – this will be kind of a mixed grill corner mailbag type thing. We were a little light on the questions, as you put it right before we started recording. Kind of the dog days of summer, but we hadn't done a pod in a while. What's up, man? Oh, yeah, man. You know, it's uh, like you were saying, the – Dog days of summer are kind of rolling through, and if we can just get past uh, July, get um, August in here, and uh, students get back, and uh, football season be ready, and uh, we'll be back gin. Yeah, dude, and so, <laughs> a lot has changed. I'm sure people listening might be sick of me talking about it, but I got here, and I, start, I was about to start recording, and I, we got on the Zoom, and I was like, shit, I haven't told Greg like I live here now. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 well, that was kind of – it was weird because, like, you know, uh, you were you were saying the last couple of months have been crazy. The last podcast we did was actually, um, I think it was uh, the Kentucky Derby, and I think we like Ole Miss just swept Missouri, and we were like, man, I really wish we uh, the baseball team could play Missouri every weekend. And uh, for some strange reason, I don't know what happened to the baseball team, but uh, uh, lo and behold, uh, our next podcast that we've done, uh, they're national championships. They're not national champions. Yeah, really, a lot has changed. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, 
and I keep doing this like random people, not random people, people I kind of know around town, I'd say. But like we, you and I keep in pretty good touch. And like we're usually just texting each other, you know, off and on about random shit. But like my, my last couple of months have been so nuts or last couple of weeks or month or so. Like I haven't really like, I never really like, announced it other than, you know, I guess to this podcast with a couple thousand people, but not within like social circles. I've never been like, hey, moving to Oxford. It just kind of happened fast. And so I've kind of been out and about around town seeing some like, you know, old friends, whatever. And they're like, what are you doing in town? I'm like, well, I'm here now. Like this is, this is, I live here. Like I'm not in town. I'm just here. So that's been kind of crazy. But uh, once we get to find a place to live, then I maybe will feel like we're full fledged back. But um, certainly glad to be back. Glad to be doing this podcast again. I was kind of wild. It's been that long. I thought we'd done one in like early June or late May or something. Or I guess that Missouri one was late May, but I guess we hadn't done one since the regular season. We've had a national title unfold. What's uh, what's been happening at the store? What you got going on? Oh uh, well, I mean, you know, like I said, the dog days of summer roll through, and uh, we're just like I said, ready for the kids to come back and uh, get back rolling. You know, uh, during summer months, you have to be really good with inventory. You have to be good with your employee hours and stuff. So, uh, you know, just uh, been hanging out. Uh, I went to the Maryland to go to the Preakness, and I've been able to go to certain places to be able to get out. I'm going to uh, play in the Cleveland Six Man this weekend, so uh, I think this is kind of maybe my last vacation before the kids come in. So enjoying the Six Man in Cleveland. Yeah, this always this is the last weekend of July as we hit this weekend, and you're right that for school wise, that really is kind of the last weekend where everyone's gone because the way I remember it it may have changed since but like when I was in school one depending on what kind of house you got and who your landlord was some leases for the house you moved into and this is obviously off-campus stuff the dorm they don't let those poor kids move into like five six days before but like some people's leases started August 1st like if you're paying for it probably a hell of a lot cooler than your hometown so people would come in town and start moving into their uh, house August 1st and then I believe like all the sororities start like the rush prep or whatever that culty stuff is around then and that kind of naturally brings dudes back in town as well and so like it, it kind of starts to start populating Oxford starts populating again Jackson Avenue a little more crowded um, kind of right in when we get into August you're right this is kind of the last weekend of the dog days of summer which I think is good for a content standpoint a lot of different perspectives I mean I'm ready for football Ole Miss starts camp on either Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember what Broker said um, the other day. But, yeah, it, uh, it's kind of the last little bit of the slow season, so I'm looking forward to that. You got the Cleveland six-man this weekend, huh? I love those uh, those five six-man scrambles get uh, get pretty wild. I'm, I'm jealous. That's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's always fun. Well, we always try to play in the Cleveland six-man, the Clarksdale six-man, and uh, I got invited to play in the – three man at Clarksdale next weekend. So uh, I'm all about staying at ground zero and uh, drinking and hanging out at, in Clarksdale. So um, if there's a golf course involved and uh, I've, uh, I've got a spot, I'm going to definitely do it. A couple of good golf courses too. Uh, been a big week for old Michael Porter on this show, but my best friend from school is from uh, Cleveland, lived on Cleveland Country Club. So played it uh, many a times through the years, a fun golf course. And uh Nothing like I, I loved like the tournaments. You don't really have to play your own ball. You can kind of relax, but it's also competitive because the money's at stake. Because those Calcutta's don't screw around. Oh yeah, I mean I think the um, I think um, Clarksdale this year was one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. 
Oh my God. I didn't know it gotten that high. That's nuts. I mean, I believe it for sure, but I mean, Oh yeah. How they, uh, how they, uh, it's that old Delta money, you know, it, it, it's still there. I promise you that. Imagine putting in a six man on like 17 green with that on the line. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was one team that went for like five or six, like seven, five or seven thousand dollars. Good. I don't know. I'm out on that. We try, we try to shoot nine fourteen and try to try to get out of there with uh, some store credit. So I don't know. I just if uh, if if I'm not good from 150 yards and in, uh, in and with the flat stick, uh, I shouldn't be out there anyway. <laughs> The, uh, and it's flighted, which helps as well. Kind of gives everyone a little something to play for. Some of my favorite content on the internet these days is uh, the old club pro guy, the satirical dude that makes fun of kind of like the teaching professionals across the country. He's, <laughs> he's got a video out that's like, a, like the member guest flow chart. He kind of goes down all these ridiculous questions. He's like, the last one, the most important one, does he have a legitimate USGA handicap? If the answer is yes, He's out. We need like a 17 that can shoot 78 or 79 on a consistent basis. Yeah, for That's how sure. you flight hardware. It's so funny that, um, you know, everybody, uh, you can like round up the perfect six-man scramble team. You know, you, like your D player just has to be a really, really good putter. Uh, you know, your C player might be just really good from 100 yards in. And then your A and B player, you know, just hit it 350 yards, you know, so – um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm just a big fan, man, fan of the six-man tournaments. I used to play in a, like a two-man with my dad on Father's Day weekend, and we would – I guess pencil whipped it in the right word because they aren't cheating on the scorecard. But talk about some serious handicap fudging. We'd be in a match against two other dudes, and one of the guys would play from like the one-up tees, hit it like 270, and flip a wedge to like 12 feet. And like supposedly this guy's a 15 handicap. I don't really know how that works, but – the uh, handicap stuff's out of control these days. But, um, yeah, kind of like the NIL deals, you know? Yeah, hopefully you don't run into any of that this weekend. We've, uh, we've got some grill corner questions to answer for you, um, as you are the preeminent grilling expert um, in the state of Mississippi and, uh, and beyond. Let's just uh, let's roll right into it. Let's see what we got. Joey Vaughn checking in here. For Greg, what's his opinion on grill grates? And – what are his top – oh, actually, we'll, he got two. So, we'll start with that. What's your opinion on grill grates? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome to uh, get a really uh, nice-looking sear on your steak, um, you know, kind of make it look pretty. Um, I, man, I, you know, I think grill grates are going to be better for sous vide. So, say you sous vide, you know, that tri-tip, and then, you know, put your grill grate on there and get it super-duper hot and just set it down there and just get a, you know, real nice – you know, kind of like a char streak on it. It's just, uh, it's there for, for looks. I think grill grates are, but, um, but yeah, uh, there are some really nice grill gates out there. Uh, I'm not for sure, you know, each brand, but whatever your grill is, if it's a Traeger or if it's a, uh, Weber or something like that, just always go with, um, uh, you know, that matches up with the, the company that you buy. So is it bad when I first saw this question, my first instinct was, doesn't every grill have a grate? Because I thought the actual, like, you know, you think of like a drainage grate type deal. It's got the holes in it. kind of looks like the bottom of a grill. What is that actually called if that's not the grate? No, the, the grate is actually kind of like the, gr like the grill part, you know. Like it's actually like kind of the, you know, the, the grill. It's actually the grill part. Like those, the kind of, uh, that's, yeah, it's, 
it's not landscaping. It's it's a complete difference. Complete okay. opposite. What's it used for predominantly? Like, what's the purpose of the? It's grow? it's more used for. Uh, I mean, that's it, that's uh, it's a uh, material where it can uh, withstand a high temperature that doesn't you know uh, burn. So it gets real hot, and uh, it's almost kind of like a. Um, it's almost kind of like a cross, uh, like a metal rod where they, you know, they shaped it to where, you know, it gets really hot and then you put your beef on it and it gives it a uh, grill mark. So that's, um, but yes, mostly every grill in America is going to have grates on it. Okay. So that's there's a separate, there's a separate thing that you can buy to set on top of your grate to make it hotter. You see what I'm saying? Yes. But like, why would one want something like that? Um, you know, like I said, it makes it, your looks, your, uh, it makes it give it a real nice, you know, whenever it sees those, those real nice grill marks that look like a black, like, like somebody took, uh, you know what they do with a cow, you know, they get it super duper hot and they, you know, uh, give it kind of a tattoo kind yeah. of like that. That's what, that's what a grade is. Basically. You're just wanting to give a really nice, like marking on your steak, give it steak markings. I got you. Okay. So I, that makes, that makes sense. Um, the second part of this guy's question is what are your top three grill gifts somewhere in or under the hundred dollar range? Yeah. I, my, my number one gift is always, uh, make sure you have a good meat thermometer. Um, I always think that, um, that's the key to cooking, um, you know, is uh, having a good meat thermometer. And I always like to give, um, uh, you know, barbecue sauces or seasonings or different seasonings because there's a lot of people out there that may like. I went to uh, I went to Lexington last week a, a couple of weeks back and took some Hoover sauce and um, they don't have Hoover sauce in Lexington, so uh, I took the only bottle of Hoover sauce to Lexington. So I think stuff like that is a really cool gift. You know, Hoover sauce um, stuff that's very unique uh, that you know they can hold on to it. I think. Uh, Hoover sauce, I think um, another good thing would be barbecue, dry seasonings, um, you know, maybe a gift card to LBs. Hey, there we go. Always be marketing. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> that's what I kind of think. Uh, you know, you want to maybe uh, do something like a meat thermometer, maybe some sauces, um, maybe a knife. You know, you could probably get a really uh, nice knife for under, you know, 50 or $75, but um, I would just stick to uh, seasonings and sauces and gift cards. One of my buddies – Meat cards. Meat cards. Meat those, cards. Those are good ones. But I would say the top of that list is definitely an LB's gift card because you can't top that. I like the meat thermometer. You've been big on that throughout all the grill corners we've done of that being an important tool to have. Tool. So if, uh, if you're out there listening, maybe take some note on that because you've got the grill master saying that that is uh, something you definitely need. The knife's a good suggestion too. I had a buddy that got married a couple of years ago and like his groomsman gift to everyone was like a really nice knife set. And at the time yeah. I was like, oh, I don't like, and I wasn't complaining by any means. I was like, Oh, these look cool, but what am I going to use these for? Uh, I was wrong. It's an awesome gift. I've used it quite a few times, just having it around the house. And I'm not even a guy that cooks that much. I can grill. Okay. And I do it every now and again, but uh, it's been very useful. That was a great gift. So knives are always the way to go. Um, maybe just weapons in general, solid gift. Um, but I have enjoyed that knife set. So I think that's probably a good one. Good one as well. Good guy. Uh, a couple of questions from our guy there to start off. 
Um, let's see. What do we got rolling here? We had a couple more. Hey, this is this. Uh, I got a question. This is kind of off grill grill corner. Um, uh, you you went to both sporting events. Uh, you know, you went to the uh, Omaha. I didn't get to go to Omaha. Um, which one? Which was better? Ole Miss winning the national championship in Omaha or winning the Sugar Bowl that Oklahoma State year? Oh, I think in terms of, like, fun environment, if you're just talking about that, I would absolutely say Ole Miss winning the national championship in baseball. Where I thought you were going to go with that was um, was Ole Miss beating Alabama in 2014. Because I'm not sure you could put that up against just the sheer thrill of that. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I would go baseball winning the national title over the Oklahoma State Sugar Bowl. Uh, just because, look, don't get me wrong, winning a Sugar Bowl is a big deal. But the way when Ole Miss won it, it's kind of not – like it's just an access bowl like all the other ones. It's not like the Sugar Bowl kind of like the way it was in the, in the 60s and 70s or whatever when they gave you a watch for winning it and maybe you had an argument to win the national title or whatever. That is still very prestigious, still very awesome. I'm, I don't mean to downplay it. But I think the fact that the end result – of Omaha was Ole Miss winning a national title in one of the three men's major sports. I would say that Ole Miss winning the national title was probably the better one by a long shot. Uh, maybe there's some dissenting opinions out there for those listening. I'd, I'd welcome to hear, you know, whatever opinion you have out there. Um, and then on top of that, it was just the fact that like in the, the Sugar Bowl both times, uh, this past year and in 2016, 17, you knew Ole Miss was going to have a really good crowd and it was going to be a really cool environment. I think the shock factor of that stadium holding, what, 25,000 people and at least 22,000 of those people being Ole Miss people, I think there was a certain shock value in that that just made the environment even cooler. Like the back-to-back-to-back home runs, we've talked about it many times on this pod since, sounded like a football game. And I've told told this story like a few times, like the – I tried. I bought tickets for game one, and I was like, I just want to have some. And I was like, I'm going to keep an eye on the other side, like where the Ole Miss quote-unquote section might be for game two when I buy them. There was no Ole Miss section. If you walked into to your Charles Schwab Stadium, that was the Ole Miss section. So that part of it, I think, made for a really, really awesome experience. And I don't know if people were surprised that Ole Miss did that, but it just felt like everyone walked in that place and was like, oh, my God, everyone here is Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I didn't get to go. And, of course, you know, every person that walked in, um, you know, I, I got to ask them. I was like, you know, how was Omaha? And, and, and you know, it's almost like uh, it, it was almost like a kid opening a Christmas gift. You know, they're like, oh, Omaha's great. I mean, you know, the way we won everything, you know, it was just kind of cool. But I, I just – I really think, you know, kind of, you know, how Ole Miss wins that game is, uh, you know, because of that – you know, uh, home field advantage thing. You know, the the guy uh, thought he was throwing a breaking ball and it was a high fastball, you know, the wild pitch there, you know, a couple, you know, um, pitches get crossed up. And, I mean, I don't know. I just, you know, I just think that um, um, I, I just – whenever whenever we got in, whenever Delusia pitched, pitched the game, for some strange reason I, I thought that we were going to give it up in the night. But whenever we beat Arkansas – and got in the national championship game, and everybody's like, well, Oklahoma hadn't lost a game. And, you know, well, I always think back to the Detroit Tigers in 06 whenever they had to wait two weeks to play the St. Louis Cardinals. Like, you have, when you're playing at that high level, and you just can't press the pause button and be like, oh, you know, we'll get it right back, you know. So I just feel like Ole Miss had the momentum, and, man, it just 
I, 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 whenever we hit the back, the back, the back home runs, I just sat my phone down and just had a moment. It was really, really kind of an awesome, kind of awesome deal. And I'm just kind of real happy for Mike and, you know, whole program in general. Well, when you talk about like whether it was the back to back to back home runs or the uh, the cross up on the fastball breaking ball or, you know, they're all American first round draft pick shortstop just basically booting a ball in the first inning of that game one to get the scoring going. The crowd and everything I was talking about a second ago played into that. Like Oklahoma really got swallowed up by that crowd in that moment and they tried to downplay it in the post game, which was kind of hilarious saying, well, we've been to Florida, which holds like 5,000. Like, well, we went to Virginia Tech. It's like, well, I don't know what that holds, but I guarantee you it's not as big as Swayze. And also, you know, all of that being kind of irrelevant, I guarantee you've never played against 22,000 people rooting against you. Point being, they, they, they definitely got swallowed up by the crowd and, and it feeling like a road game, semi-football game. Yeah, I just – I think that, you know, kind of the Oklahoma program in general, like, man, if your team is about to be in the SEC – and you're playing for a national championship, and you can't sell out 5,000 tickets for a national championship game? I mean, I don't know, man. That's kind of a head-scratcher for me. I, I was hearing rumblings of, like, softball's a really big deal to them, and the softball team had gone to the national title in Oklahoma City. And it was like, ah, oh, people are still – you know, they had to pick one or the other. It's like, well, did you – softball's 45 minutes from Norman. Oklahoma City's where they play the softball national championships. That would be like if – I mean, it's probably even a little further, but that would be like if Ole Miss softball played the national title in Grenada. It's like, really, are you saving up your dollars to go to, to go yeah, for that sure. in Grenada? And I don't mean that in, like, demeaning softball sense. Just, like, it's, it's right down the road. It's a day trip. Like, what, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, I mean, that's uh, what Alabama, you know, their baseball programs had, you know, trouble, you know, building just because of their softball, you know, program because – and I get that because that's an actual road trip if they make it to the College Road Series. You're going from Alabama to, uh, you know, Oklahoma City, whereas, like, Norman is, like, literally down the highway. Yeah, and you went last year, too, and you won the national championship last year. So, I mean, you know, like, branch out. Go to, uh, go to Omaha and watch, your, watch the baseball team play for a national championship. Yeah, so that was – it was a cool moment. I would put that over the 2016 – yeah, I just I, – I mean, like, just watching everything and, you know, watching the – you know, I, man, the – whenever um, Calvin Harris hit the his home run, there was kind of like a huge gasp. I don't know if you could hear – I mean, I don't know if you could hear it, but on TV it was just like a, oh, and it was just – man, it was just so cool. I, I You know, I just – um, I, I don't think uh, I don't think I'll ever get over uh, Ole Miss winning that you know winning the national championship the way they did. Have you had any dudes come in since they won to get meets? Or are they all getting like you know? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Elko came in, and I mean, we've got a little nil deal with him. But I mean, you know, man, it's I just want to give him a couple steaks and just try to feed them. Uh, but yeah, uh, Bench came in, and Elko came in, and uh, you know, man. It was just so weird whenever uh, whenever the last time we did the pod, you text me and you go, uh, hey, do you want to do a grill corner? And I'm like, are they still playing? Is the is the baseball team still playing, you know? And just kind of took I believe a shot. My answer was no. <laughs> I, I didn't think they were getting in at that time. You know, and so I don't know. I just, you know, you got to take it. You if you're given a shot and you're given a chance, you got to take advantage of it. And I think that just – those guys got together and they looked at each other and said, "Look, you know, we uh, we're the last team in, and let's take it. Let's take advantage of it." And they really did. So I don't I don't care if they build an Elko statue. I don't care whatever. But I just think that 
you know, just everything in general, the way it, it, it panned out, this is kind of really cool story. Everyone loves talking about statues. Can, can, can one of these dudes get a cut of meat named after him? Have we explored that possibility? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, I would say the elk, we'd probably have to try to something to do with the Elko. I mean, because that's a really nice, solid, you know, a name. I, um, I want to name a horse uh, Elko Slam, but I don't know if that's a, a, good, a good horse name. Elko Slam. I don't know, but no, I, I can I can uh, work something out and maybe work maybe uh, name a burger or sausage after Tim Elko. There we go. I love it. That's a uh, I think that's a good idea. Um, all right, keeping it rolling. We got a couple more grill questions. Someone asked just your opinion on grill pellets. Is there certain types? I don't know exactly what. He, oh, pellet pellet grill pellets. Yeah. Okay, I knew I had that right. Um, yeah, I always. Oh, if, if you. Um, I mean. I was just told I, I don't have a Traeger, but my buddy has a Traeger, and he um, said that you know when the guy told him uh, to buy pellets, make sure you buy Traeger pellets for your Traeger grill. So um, I don't know if that's uh, something that you have to do, but um, I you know it just my thing with pellets is whatever wood you like smoking with. You know, some people like the cherry, pecan. Um, you know, so I you know I, I just you know just. Uh, just go after whatever wood you like. You know, here's a great question. Are these the same type of pellets that cats piss on? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I don't know what kind of – I think – I don't know. I'm actually going – whenever we get done with this podcast, I'm actually going to watch a YouTube video on how um, uh, pellets get made. That <laughs> – <laughs> because I mean, it's a big. Pro I mean, it's a. Pro I mean, shit. You know how many how many bags of pellets? I mean, I mean, it's pretty. I, I'm. I, uh, I shouldn't have got. I shouldn't have done that before we did the podcast. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> shouldn't have done what, or should have looked it up? Because I was about to say you got to be in a certain state of mind to be watch a watch a grill pellet doc. But I'm in. I would just have to, you know, you know, get the right dosage. Yeah, no, I just um, for for me on the pellets, I always just you know make sure I, I want to pick out which wood. I, I like that you know pecan wood, or sometimes I like to smoke with apple. It just depends on uh, what I'm smoking. Does that actually make your food taste different? I mean, clearly it does to yeah, some degree. Like, can, can you really yeah. sense it? Oh yeah, like like pecan is a hard smoke, so like it really has a smoky. Like I don't know, my my buddy likes to uh, smoke with hickory. But he likes I, – I just don't like a hard smoke on my meat. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I just like a light, smoky flavor. You know, I just don't like that hard smoky to where it just – where you eat a piece of brisket and uh, about 15 minutes you burp and they're, you're burping up some smoke. You know, it's just a – you know, I don't, I don't like that. I, I know what you mean sort of by the flavor. Correct me if I'm wrong and this is the wrong, like, account. But, like, I, I used to be – I say used to be, kind of, still am. I like beef jerky a lot. And, like, the heavy, like, smoky flavor in beef jerky, I didn't like as much. Um, so, that is actually, that is, uh, that's uh, liquid smoke is what they do in jerky. No, I, I get it. It's not the same thing, but is it the same concept in terms of, like, the taste and the flavor? Like, I just don't love a huge, like, smoky-type taste to jerky, whereas you can get other kinds that you don't really taste that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and like I said, on the on when they do jerky, they just they use liquid smoke instead because on jerky they're dehydrating the meat to make it uh, into jerky instead of just smoking the meat. What am See, I like? Oh, go ahead. When you, 
when you're smoking meats, you just want to, you know, kind of control the temperature and you just kind of want to keep the flavors within the meat with the, with a dehydrator, you're de dehydrating all the juices out to where you're making that jerky. So it's kind of two different ways of cooking. The best jerky I've ever had in my life, this is just a free ad for uh, Uncle Ron's beef jerky there in Fort Worth, but it was this dude, like MC lived under in a in a complex, um, kind of like a shopping center type deal, movie theater, bowling alley, the whole ball of wax. But they would have like a, mar they would have a market on Saturday mornings down there uh, where people would just sell, you know, you name it, from like granola to fruits and stuff like that, where this dude named Ron, who is this like older gentleman with dreads, um, would sell his own beef jerky and it was called uncle ron's beef jerky and the logo was like a bull with dreads on it he had this gigantic ass sticker on the side of his uh tahoe that was literally just a bull with dreads that kind of looked like him and uh, he had some of the best jerky i've ever had so shout out to uncle ron out there in fort worth i'll certainly miss that the uh but have you ever experimented with jerky have you ever tried it have you looked into it i know that's like a big like middle-aged you know dad dude hobby or it's like you know what i'm gonna make my own beef jerky um, I believe in the stepbrothers line is we'll go <laughs> like to shit with the door open, go on riverboat gambling trips and make her and beef jerky. I won't ask you about the former two. Have you ever tried to make jerky? No, I mean, like, uh, I haven't, you know, got, got into it as far as purchasing a dehydrator. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a, uh, it's a process, you know, you got to freeze the meat and, you know, to where it slices perfectly there's a lot of things that going on in jerky, but I've got too much going on. Um, but if somebody, uh, I'll be more than happy to hire somebody to do jerky for LBs. That'd be great. You want to, you, do you need any extra side work uh, since you're in Oxford? I won't you make it. I'll market the hell out of it. I will say whether, no matter how it tastes, I will say it's the greatest jerky of all time. <laughs> I, as far as making it, I don't know if I got that in the repertoire yet, but we'll, uh, if I ever need a hobby, we'll, uh, we'll look into it. So, Grill pellets to wrap this one up. Do you have a rec for our guy here, or are you just kind of whatever, 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 uh, whatever? Yeah, whatever his grill is. If he's got a Traeger, I would just stick with the Traeger pellets. You know, I know that, um, you know, there's some knockoff and some cheaper pellets, you know, but if you've got a Traeger grill, get Traeger pellets. Don't short yourself on that. Okay. Um, so are there other pellet grills? I know that sounds stupid, but like, I imagine that's yeah. probably the case to some degree before, but Traeger seems to kind of be like, you know, there were coolers and then there was Yeti. Like, is that kind of a similar deal? Are there other pellet grills that are popular? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple that, I think that Weber did one. Um, I mean like, yes, but Traeger, I think Traeger might be the first original like pellet grill. I'm not 100% on that. Don't like quote me because, uh, I might be wrong, but, um, I know that um, every person in Oxford, Mississippi has a Traeger grill. I know that much. What's the advantage of a, like, what's the, uh, what's the appeal of cooking on like a, pe a pellet grill Traeger type deal than like your normal? It's almost kind of like cooking on an oven and a smoker. Like you literally, you know, like put the, pe uh, the, the pellets in, you flip a switch, you turn a knob and that's it you know uh you don't do much it's uh it, there's not much you know because usually whenever you want to fire the grill up you get the charcoal going you know you you set let the charcoal get hot but this is just it's just basically a smoker slash oven slash grill all in one where all you got to do is just press a button okay so, i mean it's 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 a good it's a good thing i don't i mean 
I don't know. I just prefer my 80-year-old um, cast iron skillet because I kind of like to – I like to get a really good char on each side, and sometimes those Traeger grills, you know, don't get up to 500, 600 degrees. I know those eggs do, you know, that's uh, – but um, I just – I don't know. If I was going to do a purchase, I don't know what I would purchase right now. I think I'd pr uh, probably purchase one of those damn pizza oven things. Have you seen those? Is this like the wood oven, like the you you yeah the the kind of the either that or that broiler? Have you seen the like the steak broiler where like you like you, it's almost like a little drawer. You get it real hot. Uh, golly, uh, it's kind of very similar to the pizza oven. I haven't I haven't seen that one. I've seen multiple dudes. Shark Tank was a big uh, watch for MC and myself during the heat of the pandemic, like kind of in that time where you've kind of finished up Tiger King, whatever the hell that was. I still can't believe we as a society was just like, this is the show. Um, but like that time we watched Shark Tank, there are multiple dudes that brought in like, you know, wood fire pizza concepts to where like Cuban and Mr. Wonderful were just like, nope, every time. But I, I was like, some of these have to work. It's kind of a cool idea. So a lot of, Wait, there's, uh, a, there's a guy named Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, the guy that uh, – wow. I think that's the right one. The, the guy that wears the same black suit with black tie every single time. You've seen him, I promise you. Oh, um, yeah, okay. He calls I think I've seen some gifs of him, like, whenever, like, he, like – he has some, like, nice face reactions or something like that when he sees a product he likes or something like that. Yeah, he uh, – he, yeah, he's – uh. so, anyway, they were dumping on the grills. Uh, or excuse me, the uh, wood, uh, the uh, pizza open wood things. I don't know. Uh, you got to consult with the Italians about that one. I, I'm not an expert on that. Um, let's see, keeping it moving here. We got a couple email grill corner questions before we moved on to a couple kind of looser, loosely related ones. Um, we got a guy that says he screwed up a pork shoulder recently. Advice on cooking it well? Um, well, I mean, you know, my thing is, is on, on, Boston butts and shoulders is um, you, you've got to make sure you have time. I mean, that's the most thing that you're looking for. I mean, I, on my butts, what I usually do is I usually do, you know, a, a hold temperature to like 175 to 200 for like 10 hours. Uh, I've got a friend that he likes to smoke his butts for eight hours, wrap them up in tinfoil, sauce them, and, you know, uh, put them back on the smoker, uh, almost kind of like, like brisket. Um, so, um, you know, it's just, um, it's not a guarantee every single time. Um, I, I actually, you know, sometimes I like to put, um, put some butts in the oven, you know, to get you, you know, to start, but you just got to make sure you, you know, this, uh, at the right time, if you pull that, butt, if you pull the bone and the bone does not pull with ease off, it's not done. So you need to put it back in there. So Make sure that bone on that Boston butt is just, you know, easily comes out. So whenever it easily pulls out, that means your pork's done. But you can score the fat, you know, score the fat, season it, put it in a pan, smoke it in a pan, keep your juices. I don't know if it, if whenever you said you messed up, I don't know if you, if it dried out on you, but um, if it dried out on you, you know, smoke it next time in a pan, get you like one of those aluminum pan uh, pans and uh, spray it with uh, spray it with apple juice, you know, every one, every hour, you know, to keep it, you know, keep some flavor going to it. But um, you, you might just dry it out next time. Just put it in a pan, and wrap it up in tinfoil. Good advice there. 
Um, we got a couple more best Mexican beer to pair up with burgers. I, this is a loosely related question, but like, is this just asking best Mexican beer? Cause I feel like any sort of beer would go with burgers, but you got any thoughts on this one? Um, you know, I, I, there's a couple Mexican beers that I like. Um, I'm trying to think, shit, I don't even know the name of it. It's, uh, the, it's on the Dodgers. Uh, it's, it's on the, Do it's at the Dodgers stadium everywhere. Is it Tecate? Because uh, I like that a lot. Yes, I like Tecate. I like Tecate light. I actually, uh, I'm trying to think. It's like Esperado or something like that. It's a, anyway, it's one of those new. I, I'm a Pacifico guy. I like Pacifico. That's another good one. I actually haven't found a Mexican beer where I've been like, no thanks. Like, I like a nice Corona every now and again. I like Modelo's. Um, yeah, I mean, that Medela Dark's really nice. I mean, if, you are know, you talking the uh, Estrella Seco or whatever it's called, the little star? Is that the one you were talking about? Uh, Pacifica? Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the yellow label. No, the Dodgers one you are talking about. Oh, yeah, what was it? Uh, there's one that's like Estrella Seco and then yeah, the Soul. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay, I haven't tried the Soul. I like the Tecate. I thought this Victoria beer was an Australian beer because I don't know why. It literally says Mexico on the bottle. That's a tough one for me. Tough look. We might have to edit that out. Well, you know, Land Shark's actually a good Mexican beer, I think. I, that's just, I mean. I like, I, uh, I, I, I like that one as well. Mexico got really, uh, really hot, and, hot and fast on the beer scene. I didn't know Land Shark was a Mexican beer. Um, so you're telling <laughs> me someone for Ole Miss did not invent the Land Shark beer? <laughs> I I mean, I know it's a Jimmy Buffett thing, but I mean, I, I, I think it has a kind of a beach flavor to it, you know, so I don't know. Whenever I think of Mexican beer, I think of beach and I think of sand and, you know, um, private, you know, four-star resorts. That's what I think of Mexican beer. Yeah, I think of that or just any sort of Mexican beer in Mexico with, you know, a small pharmacy, you know, dissipating at the bottom because everything's illegal <laughs> over there. Um, or a worm, or a worm. Yeah, that <laughs> that as well. Um, the is Land Shark Delivery still around? Is that guy still keeping that that thing going, or has that been priced out with Uber Eats and all that? Probably priced out. I would think. I don't know, man. There's a, there's a lot of you know. Um, it's kind of sad. There's a lot of really good businesses and restaurants that kind of got eaten up due to the COVID. But um, you know, it's just. It's, it's, uh, that COVID was a pretty tough time, but you know, um, everybody's back, man. You got, you just got to stay positive. I used to, uh, I used to, um, like make, not make fun, but I used to kind of beg, really, people are going to do the Uber Eats, like just go get the damn food yourself. But, uh, I learned while I was in Texas or whatever, trying to kind of balance, you know, this, that whatever this version of myself is like podcast writing is and like a real job there'd be some nights where I'm like I literally cannot go get anything until Uber Eats came in the clutch a few times that was huge is Uber Eats like a is that readily this is going to sound stupid is that readily available around here like can you Uber Eats pretty much anything around Oxford yeah I think so I think you're good on Uber Eats and stuff like that okay. yeah I think you're good yeah I mean I thought Oxford's you know progressing they're pretty solid on um everything I mean we're getting a Waffle House no, it's exploding. It, it's still uh, – I've talked about this the last couple of times. I've talked about moving and doing a podcast. It, it's, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, it, every time you come back, you're like, damn, this is going – it keeps moving further and further out. I, uh, you know, some people have different thoughts on it. I always think it's a good thing. If there's more stuff coming here, more people want to live here, 
um, I get to a certain point, it might have some downsides, but I just think it's cool. I think it's cool how it's uh, exploding, but also get like the nostalgia side of it um, of like, you know, what this was in the nineties and early two thousands and, you know, for the old. Oh yeah. Now, I mean, like it's to- I mean, you know, it's totally different. And, and, and I actually sat on, um, whenever I was coming back from Maryland, I sat next to a guy um, who graduated in, 2000 or 2000 and uh oh no 99 98 and he was like man he goes Oxford's so different now because you know there's a lot more um you know um more commercial restaurants you know there was so many like uh, uh you know establishments that were established in Oxford like Kalos you know stuff like that now it's just uh there's just so many restaurants it's just it's hard hard to keep up with uh with with everything on them I think it's generally a good thing. Like that, I, I get it for like out of towners that kind of want to come back for that sense of nostalgia. But I kind of think it still has that. You know, as long as you kind of keep the square, what it is, and other pieces of the town. But like for the people that live here, it's like, did you really like not having a Dick's Sporting Goods? Or I mean, that's probably not the greatest example, but just kind of more stuff. I think it's all in all. Yeah. Thing. Well, I mean, you know, and it, and um, and Oxford's you know grown so much just because of. Uh, you know, the, uh, the baseball field, you know, they host so many state tournaments and, uh, um, with there's being more hotels added off of the, you know, off the exit, you know, so there's just, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a progressive, uh, town. I honestly think, uh, have you ever been to Lexington, Kentucky? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of times. That was one of the cities, uh, on my kind of couple year SEC road trip tour that surprised me as to how big it was. And that was just purely out of ignorance. I didn't think it was like Mayberry or anything, but I remember flying in. That was when I was working in-house. So I actually flew like on the team plane or whatever and getting oh, to so that bluegrass airport. And when, being, when you, wow, this place uh, was massive. Yeah, so when you flew in, did y'all flew in at night or in the afternoon? We flew in in the afternoon. Oh, um, you got to see the farm and all the horses, you know, and everything. Yeah, it was really cool. Actually, the first night we ate there, we ate at that Goodfellas Pizza where they kicked uh, how cool out that during work? the pizza review and he gave him the 0.0. That was the first place we ate in Lexington. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought that place was really cool. I, I mean, I, the pizza was okay. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to. More of a distillery, them. right, type deal? Yeah, well, it's um, the area used to be the manufacturing area. So I think uh, somebody built it, uh, bought it. And so you park your car, and there's an ice cream place, a pizza place, a food truck place. There's all sorts of places, you know, in that one little area. I think there's a music hall now, like like two uh, across the street, maybe. I'm not sure, but uh, I feel like Kentucky, I feel like Lexington and Oxford are going to be very similar once, you know, in five to ten years, once everything gets done in Oxford. I think it's going to be very similar. I like it. Even just having like businesses want to like plant their roots here, like having a company like this is just a random example that's sort of kind of come up at work currently, but like having just like a Nicholas air here, like that's a big deal. Um, and yeah. they kind of have it's their roots deal. in Oxford. Like it, it I, I think, you know, look, there's some downsides to everything regarding growth, but I think overall it's, it's a really good thing. It's cool to see too. Um, For sure. All right. We got, do we have one more girl question? Let me see if we got, in here oh favorite cut of steak oh wow um, i'm a filet guy but like i i will readily admit in terms of like some of the ribeye or t-bone or whatever it is 
I haven't had a lot of like good versions of anything other than a fillet that makes sense. I've had. I think well, I've had well now, now that now that you've moved back to Oxford, uh, we will have we'll start having some uh, some meat tastings and some wine tastings at, at your house. Well, well, that's what we'll do. Is but like once you find your house, we'll have a we'll maybe do a like a live podcast and have a meat tasting and wine tasting. Uh, I like that. Know. We can do something like that, but no. Uh, filet mignon is my last, my least favorite. Uh, sorry, Rippy, I didn't mean to pull you down there. No, no, you're good. I thought that was a great idea. I think we should definitely do that. Keep it, uh, keep rolling. Just keep flowing the ideas. I, I think that's a, I think that's a good idea. No, but well, I was I mean, to no, you. I, I haven't had anything uh, outside of a, a filet that I would say would be like nice, like from a nice place or from something yeah. like renowned. If that well, I mean, everybody just assume, you know, the filet mignon is the nicest piece because it's the most expensive meat and it doesn't have any fat. I prefer fat. I like fat on my steak. I prefer a ribeye or something like that. My favorite steak that I like right now is called that Wagyu Denver Cut. And we'll, the, what we need to do is we need to have uh, like, a, uh, like you, Neil, uh, Chase, and we just need to have a live like meat tasting and stuff like that, like uh, start of the year for football season, like something like that. I like it. That'd be an uh, awesome idea. We need to get that working. I've been full of the ideas lately. Like, so this year when we do the fresh cuts, we're going to do some kind of challenge with Skybox. I need to talk to them about that, where one, it forces me to keep up with the picks. Because the last couple of years we've done it where I just forget halfway through the year. Now that I'm working in private equity, I've learned 50 part. things. What'd you say? Or lose, or lose all the picks on the bachelor party. That's yeah. right. I left a notebook in a hotel. I think I may have left the notebook with our picks in the casino one time down on the Mississippi coast. So if uh, anyone's listening from the coast and found a notebook full of losers, uh, that was me. Um, but <laughs> bring, yeah, now, bring that it in, uh, for you. <laughs> now that I'm in private equity, I've learned how to do fancy stuff like, you know, open up an Excel spreadsheet. So we might actually get some sort of computer baits uh, situation going um, for that this year. But yeah, a lot of uh, we we need to get the live uh, the live meat tasting going as uh, as well. That I think that's a great idea. I think that was all the grill corner questions we have. I'm gonna roll through them real quick. Oh, I had one personal one. What's been the update on the mac and cheese? Uh, didn't you have a funyun and like a flaming hot Cheeto mac and cheese going? How that how's that been rolling? What do we got on the docket there? Yeah, I mean we uh, I mean everybody likes that uh, that Cheeto sausage. So um, I think that is officially in. So um, that is uh, officially one of our new chicken sausage that we do. Um, you know, on the mac and cheese, I, I don't. I, I, I'm uh, the only thing I worry about is the noodles. You know, like I don't want to boil the noodles and then put them through the 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 sausage. You know, to make the sausage, and it just kind of tastes mushy with meat. You know, so. We're, we're working on the mac and cheese uh, sausage, and we're working on a, a new sausage. We've got to come up with a, with a, uh, a new sausage for Tim Elko uh, or a national championship sausage or, or something like that. I, I can't – man, the lane train has just been so good. We, it's just hard not to uh, call the filet special the lane train special. So um, I've got to think of something uh, for the national championship uh, um, special. I like that. Maybe make like a caterpillar sausage because of that thing on Elko's face under his nose. Stuff it with caterpillars. I don't know if that's even edible, but just throw an idea. Yeah, I, I don't know about caterpillars and sausage. I don't think that, I don't think that would uh, – I don't know. I don't, I don't think I, – I don't think – I don't know. We'll, we'll think of something. We'll, uh, we'll think of uh, 
I'm thinking uh, meat, uh, meat and cheese and beer, and call it the uh, the um, the Elko Shower or something like that. There we go. I like that one. That oh, we had one more. Sorry. Any update on the L Glugstad LBs? No, no. We uh we we covered that a while back. So that's a no go for now. It wasn't worth the time. Supply chain issues and all that. But well, it wasn't. It, not necessarily not worth the time. It's just hard. Not to worth. Excuse me. Not worth the time. The uh the, the conditions were not right. I would I shouldn't say yeah. worth the time. That was mis misspeak. Oh man, it's definitely worth my time and all and I. If I was going to open anything, I would do the Gluckstadt, Madison area, just because being from Madison and, uh, you know, knowing so many people. Uh, I've had a lot of people want me to come back to Madison, but, you know, man, whenever uh, whenever you get out, you get out. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't have a wife and kids, and there's a lot of people in Madison that have wife and kids. So, I'm, I'm going to stay in Hoxford and uh, party. <laughs> what I was thinking of when I when I said I kind of blurted out time. What I was thinking of, you were talking about like all the supply chain stuff and like the the wait time on inventory, yeah, wait and, time and sure. coolers yeah. and stuff like that is kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, well, like I said, it it is what it is, and um, you know it's hard to be at two spots in one time, but uh, it'll eventually come. You know, um, um, there's a lot of things that just uh, with patience and uh, time, it, you know, it works out. So you just got to be patient with everything. I think that was all the grill questions we had before we uh, before we let you go. What's uh, what's been happening at the racetrack? I see you've kind of uh, been all over the place going to uh, Lexington. What's kind of the horse scene been like lately? Man, it's been awesome. Uh, I, we um, I went to Ocala. I actually let's see, I went to Ocala for the March sale, the April sale, and the June sale. That so that was three trips to Ocala. So I actually kind of uh, like driving to Ocala because. I passed two Buckies on the way to Ocala, so I can stock up on some Buckies, uh, you know, uh, uh, in and out. But um, went to Lexington last weekend. It's beautiful up there. If I can ever, if I ever uh, would sell LBs and get out of Oxford, I think I'd go straight to Lexington with uh, five pairs of pants and five golf shirts and uh, a pair of boots, and I'd probably work at a barn. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I went up to Lexington, went to Maryland for the uh, – for the Preakness, that was beautiful. I don't know if you've ever been to the Baltimore area. I recommend it. It's very cool. I've done, like, the DMV. Uh, I hadn't spent, like, a ton of time in Baltimore in particular, but I've done the DMV twice. Yeah, we went to the Sagamore, uh, the Sagamore Hotel down at Pell's Point and uh, went to um, where Edgar Allan Poe had his last drink. Uh, the bar is called The Horse You Came In On. That's the name of the bar. Okay. That's so, pretty cool. Um, how did he yeah, die? Yeah, Baltimore's really cool. That look, that downtown area, um, Pell's Point, where the Sagamore Hotel is. All the original cobblestone streets and all the original, you know, uh, homes and buildings. So Baltimore's a pr pretty cool place. And trying to weasel my way up to uh, Saratoga uh, in, at the, in the beginning of August for the yearling sale. And man, I, I don't know if I can make Saratoga. I've heard it's really nice, but. I had I did lock in a trip to uh, the Breeders' Cup, uh, November fourth and fifth. That's uh, the Breeders' Cup is in Lexington. It's at Keeneland this year, and uh, Ole Miss is actually off that week, so it kind of works out perfect. So I'm going to go to the Breeders' Cup in November. Hell yeah, that'll be awesome. Well, we we'll have to keep us posted on that, and uh, if you purchase any more horses and name them after Tim Elko, this has been Greg the Meat Sharp Jones. I really appreciate the time, man. Uh, pretty soon we'll probably be doing this as our first edition of uh, college football and NFL Fresh Cuts with all uh, 
Skybox Sports Picks. Can't wait, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I said, we'll get that meat. Uh, we'll get that little live meat uh, meat cast going one day. Let's do it. All right, that's our show. If you made it to the end, I really appreciate you making us a part of your day. Um, I thought this was a good podcast. Wanted to get the Carolina Panthers corral angle on things. But uh, thank you. Hope you have a safe and happy weekend. Walter and I will be back at it on Sunday, uh, probably for a Monday release as Ole Miss gets fall camp or training camp, as I should probably call it, because fall camp makes no sense, underway. So the Weldon Rippy pods are back, probably talk some EPL. So uh, we're, uh, we're kind of uh, building up momentum to hit the full sprint of uh, football season. So looking forward to it. Be on the lookout that for Monday, and uh, we will catch you then.